with me at verse number 20 of Hebrews chapter number 11. The Bible says, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Verse number 21, look there, it says, By faith Jacob, when he was a dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon uh, the top of his staff. So Isaac is commended for his faith because at the end of his life he blessed his children. And then Jacob, or uh, Jacob, who would later have his name changed to Israel, he would uh, be commended for his faith because at the end of his life he blessed Joseph's two children. And so uh, when I read these verses, as I have many times in my life, reading through the Bible, reading through the book of Hebrews, I thought, well, that's sort of a peculiar reason uh, to put someone in the hall of faith because they said a blessing over someone. They made it into the hall of faith. But it isn't so much about the action. The action is more in lines of what it represents, the journey it took for them to get there. You see, Isaac had to make the faith of his father his own faith in order for him to even want to place a blessing from God on his child. And then Jacob had to make his father's faith and his grandfather's faith his own faith so that he would want to place a blessing on his children. And so we're going to look at the journey that Isaac took this week and the journey that Jacob took next week to go from being faithless to men of faith and then growing in that faith to a place where they wanted to pass it down generation by generation by generation. Let's pray this evening. And then we'll uh, get into the Bible study. Lord, we're thankful that you love us. And Lord, we're thankful for the Bible. Maybe the greatest representation of your love to us that we physically can see is the Bible. We uh, feel your love all around us. And Lord, it's expressed through other believers. Uh, It's expressed through creation. But Lord, we get to handle with our hands the, 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 the written word of God. We get to hold it in our hands, that love letter. And Lord, we get to experience your grace through the pages. We do, as the songwriter said, get to proclaim that it is an amazing grace. And Lord, that grace drives us to a place of deep, profound faith. And so, Lord, help us this evening to consider. Lord, no doubt there are some children that are watching tonight. And there will need to come a point in time in their life where that faith of their fathers becomes their own faith. The faith of their mother becomes their faith. And Lord, they decide to cling to you and walk with you. And so, Lord, help us as we study the Bible tonight to have a keen understanding and a very, uh, uh, very sharp focus in Jesus name. Amen. Well, again, uh, look with me at verse number 20 of Hebrews 11. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Well, let's jump right to the end of the story, and then we'll back up. Go with me to Genesis chapter uh, number 27. Genesis chapter number 27, and look with me at verse number 26. Genesis 27 and verse 26. Here we're at the very end of Isaac's life. Isaac has lost his vision. He cannot see. And uh, Jacob has come in with food, 
And uh, without giving too much of the story away, he's going to lay hands on Jacob. He's going to pray over Jacob. He's going to bless Jacob. Now, he does so believing he's blessing Esau. And Jacob, the trickster, deceives his father. And But nonetheless, he prays over Jacob. For the, uh, for the, the point being made here, look at the blessing. Look at the faith in Isaac's heart being expressed over his son Jacob. Begin in verse 26 with me. The Bible says, And his father Isaac said unto him, Come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his raiment and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field which the Lord hath blessed. Therefore, uh, God, give thee of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of corn and wine. Look at verse 29. Let people serve thee and nations bow down to thee. Um, uh, uh, let uh, be, be Lord over thy brethren and let thy mother's son bow down to thee. And then here's a quote from God himself out of Genesis 12. Cursed be everyone that curseth thee and blessed be he that blesseth thee. Isaac lays his hands and he gives the blessing here to Jacob. He's he's asking for God's blessing to be on his son. And so how did Isaac uh, get here? Where, what was the journey for Isaac uh, as, uh, as he became a man of great faith? And so point number one of the message this evening is this. Isaac's faith journey. Isaac's faith journey. We're going to look at how that journey began. But let's first go all the way back to his birth. Uh, we looked at this last week, but in Genesis 21, Isaac is born to parents who are very, very, very old. Now, I've known some men to father their children, father children into their 70s, into their 70s. I have known even more men to father children into their 60s. Pastor Morales and I went to church with a man named Joe in Baltimore, and Joe was single his whole life and worked at a grocery store and was Mr. Consistent, drove a church bus, and uh, he was in his 60s, and he married a sweet little Filipino girl, and uh, they uh, brought her over from the Philippines, and Joe and his sweet little wife had a baby when he was in his 60s. I believe she was in her late 20s, and so I have seen uh, some things of that sort, uh, uh, very interesting in nature. But uh, this wasn't just Abraham being old. Sarah also had a baby when she was old. And Isaac, on every level, was a miracle baby. He was a miracle baby. You have to know that Abraham and Sarah must have just poured their love all over this boy. You have to know that Abraham and Sarah must have expressed to him at a very early age uh, how that he was a, a blessing from the Lord and how that he was to be the father, the continuing of the father of many nations. You have to know that Abraham and Sarah must have loved this boy so dearly that they ingrained in him uh, the, the principles and truths and the importance of faith in God. But please hear what I'm about to say Isaac was not a believer because his parents were a believer Isaac was a believer because he chose on his own to be a believer I have spoken to many people and many people will say uh, I I'm going to heaven and I'll say well when did you get saved and here is the common response ready I have always been a Christian can I tell you that is not true you have not always 
been a Christian. Now, maybe you're like me and you were born into a really good Christian home with a mom and dad who had already placed their own faith in Christ and were devout to the church and uh, devout to the Lord and uh, uh, not only to attend church, but to even live it at home. Can I tell you that just because my parents were a Christian, that was not passed down to me. My parents passed something down to me, but it wasn't salvation. They passed down to me my sin. I had to make the choice to personally call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. If you're listening to this this evening and you are of the opinion that you've always been a Christian, I really want you to uh, to check that. I really want you to think through that. Were you born righteous or were you born a sinner? Um, uh, being born into a, a religious family does not take anyone to heaven. Look with me at Genesis chapter uh, number 22 and verse number 7. And notice letter A, uh, speaking of Isaac, notice his salvation. His salvation. Turn over to Genesis 22 and I'm going to show you uh, the moment where I believe that Isaac got saved. Isaac became a believer in Jehovah God. Now, uh, I can't prove from this passage that this is the when, but uh, uh, if this isn't the moment he became saved, it is a representation of the moment when he did get saved. Uh, Genesis chapter 22, uh, for those of you that may not know the story, here Abraham is leading Isaac up a mountain to sacrifice him. And you think, how bizarre is that? Abraham is going to tie his son up and human sacrifice? What in the world? Human sacrifice, that's cultish, that's strange, that's weird. Well, let me just uh, jump to the end of the story and tell you that Abraham never really did sacrifice Isaac and God stopped him from doing that. But God did tell him, take your only son. In fact, look with me. Uh, uh, it's not going to be on your screen there because I'm, I'm just throwing this in um, uh, without uh, this in my notes. But verse one of Genesis 22, if you have your Bible there with you, says, and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham. And he said, behold, here I am. And he said, take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell of thee. Now, tell thee of. Now, what a strange thing for God to do. Take your only son and sacrifice him? Now, I know this is repetitive from last week, but we're going to look at it from Isaac's standpoint here for a moment. Isaac goes with his dad on a journey, not knowing what the journey's about. Probably just excited to get to go on a trip with dad. They go on a three-day journey. They arrive to the base of the mountain there. They're walking up the mountain. They leave the two servants behind. And uh, uh, Abraham gives Isaac the wood that's going to be laid on the altar. And Isaac is carrying the wood up the mount, just like Jesus later uh, would carry uh, wood up the mount for him to be crucified on. And uh, Isaac turns and he looks at his father and he says, well, look, look at it with me. Genesis chapter 22 and verse number seven. And Isaac spake unto Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here am I, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Now, Abraham and Isaac had performed many sacrifices together, not on a special journey like this, but there had always been wood and there had always been a way to make the fire and there had always been a sacrifice. But now they're going on this strange journey and they're walking up this strange mountain and there's wood and there's fire. But for the first time in Isaac's teenage life, there's no offering. Look at verse eight. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. 
So they went both of them together. Now, we don't know exactly what the dialogue was when they got to the top of the mountain. But I imagine they built the altar. I imagine they took the wood and they assembled that on the altar. And then Isaac looked back at his dad and said, Dad, all right, where's the offering? And Abraham must have, with a tear in his eye, looked at his son and said, It's you. God wants me to offer you. And my son, I believe God. And God has said that you will be the father of many nations. I don't know how God's going to pull this off, but I know that he is. And I need you to climb up on that altar. And I need to let me kill you. And I believe God will raise you back from the dead. Now, when did Isaac get saved? Boy, if he wasn't saved before this, he sure put a lot of faith in God and his father, didn't he? Look down at verse number 12. Genesis 22. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad. This is the angel speaking. Neither do thou anything unto him, for now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And so there Isaac's laying on that altar. I have to believe that Isaac voluntarily climbed up on that altar. You have to understand at this point, um, Abraham is somewhere between 150 and 115 and 130 years old. And so um, Isaac could have very easily gotten away as a 15 to 30 year old boy, but he didn't. He climbed up on that altar on his own and he had faith in God. He had faith in God. Isaac did not just let his father be a man of faith. Isaac did not just let his father say, I believe in God. Uh, Isaac said, no, no, no. I'm going to take the faith of my father and I'm going to make it my own. I'm going to make it my own. Now, before I continue on with the Bible study this evening, I want to just ask you a personal question. Have you made the faith of the fathers your faith? You cannot ride the curtails of the pastor into heaven. You cannot ride the curtails of a godly grandmother into heaven. You cannot ride. Uh, uh, you cannot ride in on the reputation of dad. You, you, listen, I lived in the southeast for years. Let me tell you what I found in the southeast. You ask someone, "Well, uh, are you going to heaven?" And they say, well, "Well, yeah, I'm going to heaven." And you say, "Well, well, well, how do you know that?" And you know what a common response is? My uncle's a preacher. My grandpa was a pastor. And listen, uh, people in the southeast, they're Baptists the way people in New England are Catholic. At the same percentage. And people are relying even on being a Baptist to get them into heaven. And I'm going to tell you right now, there is no checking of a denominational card when you get to the gate of heaven. God doesn't care if you're Catholic, Baptist, Methodist. He doesn't care if you believe in Pocahontas. He wants you to believe in the name of Jesus Christ for you to be saved. And you must personally make that decision. It has nothing to do with some sort of religious title. His salvation. Letter B. Notice Isaac's faith journey. Notice his spouse. His spouse. And that's going to take us over to Genesis chapter number 24. Turn there with me, if you will. 
Genesis 24 is a long, long chapter. If you've never read Genesis 24, let me encourage you to do it. It's like reading a good book. You, you just get lost in it. Before you know it, you're all the way through, let's see here, all 67 verses. And we're going to read from verse 60 uh, down through verse 67 here in a moment. But let me give you the back story. Uh, Sarah has passed away. She's been buried. And Abraham is remarried. And he's had other children with another wife. And um, uh, the days come where Isaac uh, is asking, Dad, Dad, I really want to get married. And, uh, Dad, who should I marry? And uh, Abraham looks around at the women who are around where they live. And he says, I don't want him marrying one of these heathen girls that don't believe in uh, Jehovah God of heaven. And so he takes his servant and he has his servant do something that I find to be very strange. But we understand that the culture back then was very different. He brings his servant in, the most loyal servant he has. He says, take your hand and put it under my thigh. And listen, I don't want any man putting his hand under my thigh. I don't want any man putting his hand anywhere near my thigh. In fact, outside of my wife, no one is allowed to touch my thigh. Uh, and so keep your hands away from my thighs. Amen. But Abraham had his servant put his hand under his thigh. And that was a way of making a a vow, a promise, a commitment. And he made him promise him, uh, made the servant promise him that he would follow the guidelines to bring back a godly woman for his daughter to marry. And so this servant takes this uh, very important and he travels all the way back to where Abraham uh, uh, left Ur of the Chaldees. He travels all the way back uh, there and he's praying along the way, Lord, show me who it is that you would want uh, my servant's son to marry. And so they stumble upon a place uh, uh, where there's a well. And he says, uh, send out a maiden who could uh, not only give me drink, but also offer my camels drink. Now, that would be odd to one have a, a woman offer a man she doesn't know a drink of water. But then to also offer to give all of his camels water to drink. Uh, we know how much a camel can drink. And that's just one. And so along comes Rebecca. And Rebecca says, hey, I'll help you. Uh, would you like a drink? And she, he says, of course uh, I would like a drink. And he says, how about your, she says, how about your camels? Are they thirsty? And so uh, the uh, camels drink water and he's looking at this beautiful, beautiful young girl and his jaw is just hanging open He, as he's watching her get water for the camels and he's thinking to himself, this is incredible. My prayer is being answered right in front of me. And so once she's done giving all the camels the water, he begins to inquire about who she is and tells her who he is and tells her the story about his prayer. And she takes him back to her father and her father says, oh, yeah, we know who Abraham is. And yes, uh, uh, we would. Uh, and, and, and so there's this dialogue that goes back and forth. And will you send Rebecca with me? Will you send Rebecca with me so she can marry Isaac? Now, I, the story is fascinating, but I have to say that this required a lot of faith on, on the part of Isaac. He is sending a servant of his father to go to a land he's never been to, to bring back a woman from a culture he's only somewhat familiar with through his parents. And he's expecting the servant to bring a woman that he's going to be attracted to and want to live with and be married to the rest of his life. Uh, I, I'm just speaking personally. I don't know that I would sign up for that. 
I don't know that I'd want to marry a woman sight unseen. I, I don't know that I'd want to marry a woman that someone else chooses for me. Um, I had a say in who I got to marry. And um, I'm thankful that my wife's vision was not very good when we met her. She maybe would have made another choice. But my vision was crystal clear. And, and I saw my wife or my future wife. And, and I fell in love with her appearance. I fell in love with her personality. Isaac did not have that luxury. I want you to see that Isaac was a man of faith because Rebecca agrees to go back with the servant and they make the long journey back uh, to where Isaac is living. Look with me at Genesis chapter number 24 and look at verse 60. We're going to read down through verse number 67. It says there, and they sent away Rebecca, their sister and her nurse uh, and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebecca. And said unto her, Thou art our sister, be thou the mother of thousands of millions. Boy, that was a prophecy that would come true. And let thy seed possess the gate of those which hate them. And Rebekah arose and her damsels, and they rode upon the camels, and followed the men. And the servant took Rebekah and went his way. And Isaac came from the way of the well, uh, let's see, Lehiroi, um, uh, for he dwelt in the same country. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field. So here he's, he's meditating, he's thinking upon deep things, he's probably communicating with God in prayer. You see, he's a man of faith here. He went out to meditate in the field at the eventide, and he lifted up his eyes and saw and behold, the camels were coming. Now, if this was a Hollywood movie, the happy music would start playing about right here. Look at verse 64. And Rebecca lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, uh, uh, here we see smoking in the Bible. She lighted off the camel. See that? She, she was smoking. Um, the younger ones won't get that. Verse 65. For uh, she had said unto the servant, What man is this that walketh in the field to meet us? And the servant has said, it, it is my master. Therefore she took a veil and covered herself. So Isaac's over in a field and in come the, the camels and, the, and, and, and Rebecca with Abraham's servant and Rebecca's nurse and the, the other damsels that were sent along with her. And Rebecca, Isaac sees uh, Rebecca at, at a distance and Rebecca sees Isaac and the, the, the build up, the anticipation, the excitement of his wife finally being brought to him. And, and, uh, uh, she goes and takes a veil and covers herself for the sake of modesty prior to marriage and look at verse number 66 and the servant told Isaac all things that ha that he had done and Isaac brought her into his mother's tent and took Rebekah and she became his wife and he loved her and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death please understand that this is a very romantic story it's a very exciting story I'm not able to do it justice I'd encourage you to go back and read the chapter and Feel the joy and all of the emotions that come along with Genesis 24. But one thing I draw from this story is that Isaac trusted his father who is trusting the Lord. So in turn, Isaac was trusting the Lord that God would bring him the right spouse. Let me speak a moment to those of you here that are unmarried. Maybe you're young um, uh, in your childhood years, your teenage years. You might be in your early t uh, 20s, 
maybe you're finishing up college. Maybe you have a romantic interest, but you haven't yet married. Uh, maybe you're even into your upper 20s or 30s or later in life and just have never married. Can I ask you this? Are you willing to trust God to bring your spouse to you? You see, I see a lot of folks who get desperate and they settle. I see a lot of folks who want to marry a godly man or a godly woman. They want to marry someone who is saved. But when that person doesn't fall out of the sky and land in their lap, boy, they settle and they marry someone who they have no right being with. Boy, I have seen, I have seen folks marry the wrong person. By the way, once you marry them, they become the right person. But I have seen people marry the wrong person and then live with regret for many, many years because they married someone out of a heart of rebellion toward God. Now, Isaac would go on with Rebekah and have two children. One of them would be Esau. And Esau would do that. He would marry the wrong girls out of just a heart of rebellion. Sometime in the future, I'm going to preach a sermon about Esau and the mistakes that Esau made. But let me encourage you to be an Isaac. Boy, trust the authority figures in your life. While I'm on this, can I just encourage you all that have godly parents? God gave you your parents to help you make choices. And if your parents love God and are God-fearing people, and they come to you and say, that person you've fallen in love with, They do not have my seal of endorsement. They do not have my stamp of approval. Boy, in my opinion, in my opinion, you should end that relationship. Or take a break and pray along with side of your parents about that. Boy, God's given your parents great wisdom. I'm going to interject a personal uh, illustration here, if I could. Uh, My dad, when uh, he, uh, he got saved at 14 or 15 years old and began to pay his own way through Christian school and he, uh, as he finished up Christian school and began to head off to Bible college, he had fallen in love with a girl there uh, from his hometown who he had met at church. And he and this girl, prior to my father leaving for Bible college, got engaged. And uh, they were very serious about each other. It was a long-term engagement. And uh, his mother had told him, Tim, I don't think this is the right girl for you. I see some things in her character. I see some things in her disposition that I just don't feel like uh, are right. And I feel like you should not uh, marry this woman. And my dad rationalized it. He said, my mom isn't saved, and she wasn't. He said, my mom uh, has been in and out of all sorts of broken relationships. What does she know uh, about um, marriage? And all that was true. I believe my grandmother was married seven, eight, nine times in her life and had other boyfriends, living boyfriends on top of that. And so my dad rationalized and rationalized and rationalized about why his mom was wrong in telling him to break off this relationship. And he ignored her. He was respectful, but he ignored her and continued on the relationship to the point of engagement. Well, my father is in Indiana going to college, and his fiance is in Louisiana, and my father gets a call uh, in the college dorms, and he's told by a friend of his down there that, he, that his fiance had been seen on a date with another man. So my father hops in the car and he drives all the way back to Louisiana, drives all the way through the night and he shows up and catches the woman in the act of being of two timing him, of going on a date uh, with another man. And 
my dad immediately broke off the relationship with her and would later go on to meet my mom and marry my mom. I, got, I have to say this. My grandmother was not saved. My grandmother um, was not a godly woman. But my grandmother had lived life long enough to be able to give my father some sound advice that he had flat out ignored. I see a lot of young people who have godly parents. Parents who have lived life long enough to have enough sound wisdom. And listen, you may be 20 in your 20s and you may think that you know more than your parents. You probably don't. And if your parents are counseling you against a relationship, at the least, you ought to take that counsel very, very serious. You ought not run roughshod over that counsel. You ought to deeply consider and think about what they're telling you. And you ought to uh, uh, go get uh, extra counsel and more opinions and speak with someone who is spiritual and pray about it. And at least delay a future marriage date. And in my opinion, you should heed the counsel of your parents. What did Isaac do? I know Isaac doesn't live in our culture and I know Isaac didn't have the same dating system, but Isaac trusted his father and in turn trusted the Lord. His faith journey was strong. Letter C, notice his seed, his seed. Now, there's a passage here that uh, you almost just read right past. And if you're not paying much attention to, you almost miss. Go to Genesis chapter 25. Now, we know the, the chronicled problem that Abraham and Sarah had. We know that um, Sarah couldn't have a baby and that she was barren and that 25 years expired between the promise of her pregnancy and the fulfillment of a baby being born. But did you know that Rebecca also had a barren womb? Look at verse 20 of Genesis chapter 25. The Bible says, And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padanaram, the sister to Laban, uh, the Syrian. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. You see the faith here of the couple. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people. The elder shall serve the younger. We'll come back and visit that verse again next week. And when she and when her days to be delivered were, were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb, and the first came out red all over like a hairy garment, and uh, they called him Esau. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold of Esau's hill, and his name was called Jacob. Look here. And Isaac was threescore year old when she bare them. How long did Abraham and Sarah have to wait? They had to wait 25 years. How long did Isaac and Rebekah have to wait? They had to wait 20 years. He was 40 when he began praying in verse 20. He was 60 when the babies were born. 20 years Abraham, or rather Isaac and Rebekah, were barren. Twenty years they went without having a child. Twenty years uh, they, they could have wandered away in their faith. Twenty years they could have said, you know what, Lord, we're not going to bring this issue to you anymore. We're not going to walk with you. We're not going to spend time with you. Twenty years they could have uh, given up on their faith, but they stayed 
faithful. They continue to love each other. Uh, they didn't introduce a mistress into the relationship the way that Sarah had. I'm sure uh, Isaac said, no, 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 we're not making the same mistake my mother had because me and Ishmael to this day don't get along. We're not making that mistake. Twenty years they stayed the course. And after twenty long years, uh, uh, she, uh, Rebecca gave birth to not one, but two, not one, but two. And uh, we all know of brothers who fight. These two would fight far more than most. In fact, in the womb, they would fight. In the womb, they would wrestle for position. In the womb, they would war with each other. And it was such a war within the womb that Rebecca had to go to the Lord and say, what is going on inside of me? And the Lord said, you have two nations in your womb and they're already fighting with each other. And so Esau comes out first and Jacob is holding on to the heel of his brother. Uh, here, uh, uh, here you have Esau coming out of the birth canal and as he leaves the birth canal, there's a hand that comes out with and he says, you may have come out first, but I'm right behind you, buddy. I will always have hold of your heel. In fact, one day the Bible uh, prophesies or God prophesies uh, Jacob would pass Esau. And we'll look at next week how that happened. We'll look at next week how that's true. Isaac, so let me just bring it uh, to a conclusion. Isaac was able to lay hands on Jacob and Esau and bless them. Call down a blessing from his God because Isaac made his faith personal. How about you? Is it personal? I believe for most watching this evening, it probably is. It isn't normal for people to tune in on a Wednesday evening and watch. If you're watching and this is your first time being part of our church, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Is your relationship with God personal or are you relying on a past experience? I'll, I'll just finish with this application. Mom and dad, you need to make sure your children make their relationship with God personal. Make sure there is a trend that goes on in Christian homes. Here's the trend. Children are pushed by their parents to get saved at a young age because the parents want it so bad for their children. And then the children will repeat a sinner's prayer at four years old, five years old, six years old. And the children do so because they want to please their parents. But the children really don't quite understand what they're doing. Now, I'm not saying this is the case in every home. But I'm going to say this. This happens a lot. This happens a lot. I have seen this happen many times. What ends up happening is that child grows up with a false sense of assurance that they're saved and they're not. And then one of two things happens. That child hits their teen years and either at that point... They, they realize, hey, I don't even know what I did when I was little. And they get reassurance of their salvation or saved for the first time. Or, number two, they never really do get saved. They wander away from the Lord. And for the rest of their life, they battle on whether or not they're saved. Let me just give this uh, uh, little practical uh, uh, truth for you here. Do not lead your children through a sinner's prayer. Now, this is just my advice to you. I'm not going to say this is in the Bible, 
But this is my advice, and this is wisdom from having been a children's pastor for several years and having personally worked with children and even still interacting with children uh, today. Parents, some parents bring their children to me to talk about this. You need to be able to explain things to a child in such a way where they're able to explain it back to you and where they're able to bow their own head and ask Jesus Christ to save them. If your child is not capable of calling on the name of the Lord on their own, and I'm talking about a child of, 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 of average intelligence or above, all right? Your child's not able to call on the name of the Lord on his own, then your child's probably just not ready yet. And give that time. And, and take that thing to the Lord in prayer. And push that child, uh, or rather allow that child on their own, put them in an environment on their own, where they will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. There's grandparents here that, that are listening in this evening. Uh, that may need this. And you want to influence those grandchildren when they're in your home and see that they get saved. Boy, talk about the things of the Lord, but let them come to the, the, let them come to that conclusion on their own. Both of my children prayed and asked the Lord to save them all on their own. I was there with my son and my wife was there uh, with my daughter. And so let them make that their own. I, I don't mean to, uh, to um, uh, overwhelm you with stories from my children. And some of you may think, oh, here we go again. We have to hear about his kids. And if you feel that way, I'm sorry. All right, that's my life. I'm the pastor, so you just have to deal with it. But uh, I remember the day that Matthew uh, called on the name of the Lord to be saved. He was four years old. He was sitting in the back seat of my car. I was driving to the bank on a Saturday running an errand. And we got talking about it. And, and, and I asked him probing questions. And he sort of put the puzzle salvation puzzle together uh, on his own and and he said to me dad i need to i need to ask the lord to save me i need to ask the lord to come into my heart and as a little boy in the back seat he prayed and asked christ to save him and if you've been there when your children get saved it's it's as special as watching them be born i mean that i i was crying driving down the road and um seeing him get saved i remember that night when i tucked him in bed and and he was praying on his own. And he, he prayed already, you know, months prior. But I remember that night he, he began his prayer this way. He said, Dear Jesus, and then he took a deep breath. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for saving my soul. Walked out of his room that night knowing that my son had made my God his God. Parents, you need to make sure that you lead your children down the path where they make the choice. Help, help your children to embrace that your God and make it their God. Live your life in a way where that's attractive. My hope and prayer is that as children in this church begin to turn 18, they won't bolt from church. They'll be even more devoted to it. Well, we play a great role in that. Isaac's faith journey. Isaac would bless Jacob and Esau on some level. Why? Because his faith was his own. Next week, we'll turn around and we'll look at Isaac's son, Jacob. We'll talk a little bit about Esau, but we'll look specifically at Jacob and see how he took that. He got there a little bit different journey, but he got there all the same. Let's pray and uh, we'll conclude the Bible study for tonight. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for what it means to us. Thank you for loving us. And Lord, help us to take these truths and apply them to our hearts and life. Help us to be people of faith. And Lord, help us to trust you in everything. Lord, help us not to be driven by fear, but Lord, but to be led by faith. In Jesus' name, 
we pray. Amen.